Hello everyone, this is Adrian from People's Church, and I'm here for our second devotional. So, you guys see the title on Facebook is The King We Must All Follow. Now, we understand that the king that we must all follow is God. He's the one true king that we have to obey and submit to. We, we see this very clearly in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is considered a royal psalm, which is essentially just pointing to the fact that it's, 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 it's looking at Israel's king. Now, the king is actually someone that God chooses. He's someone that he calls out to come and serve him. This person ends up trusting God for support, for counsel, for, for just direction in life. And, and we see this in Jesus, actually. Jesus, who is God, would constantly go back to prayer, being communed with his Father, to try to do his will, to understand more of his Father's will. Now, when we look at the psalm and we, we start with verses 1 to 3, we see that there's actually a description of the Gentile people, more specifically the Gentile leaders. Now, these people would be against God because in their tra traditions and their practices, they would just be against what God would consider good. Now, I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them, a lot of the practices probably would have been like just considered evil. Um, and these kings would not necessarily accept the idea that there's a king above them. I mean, this idea of having power is something that, you know, will build up their ego. And so when, when faced with another king, they wouldn't want to submit. I mean, that's the whole point of wars, right? Is that one leader wants to faces another leader and wants to make that leader submit. And so they end up clashing. Well, it's the same, this kind of pride that lives in human hearts. Uh, would be present even when talking to when facing God and, and this is something that they do they actually conspire they rage against God um, because they they just don't want to to have a king above them and so they would lift this out by disobedience obviously and rebellion and and this would usually be done out of a place of pleasure I mean they, they feel good about having power and so they don't want to release that and they don't want to submit to someone who is more powerful beyond them and this 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 ability this influence is just getting to their heads and this is something that all people are can be fall into i mean none of us are exempt from this just because we are considered god's people doesn't mean that we can't fall into this place where our ego gets built up because we have influence um we see it i mean we've seen it sadly in, in certain pastors who fall because they had such influence and power and then it this just gets to their hearts so there's always this constant like battle that all humans face and now but these specific people don't even have one relationship with god and so uh to know that there's another king as i said before that they, like when a king would face another king they would just kind of fight well this is something that they're doing here they would gang up against god and his people because i mean the way that um, for example, the people of God would be living would disturb the, the vision or the way that they, the, like the, the, the people who are not following God, would see the world. And we come to understand that this opposition, although yes, it is done by humans, it is really an, uh, a weapon from the enemy. This is an instrument that the enemy uses so that he can go against God's will. Now we understand that people who are oppressive, rulers who are oppressive, we see it always in the history, although they do leave a mark, 
they're not lasting. And, and this is the idea that they're, they're not foundational. Think of Psalm 1 verse 4, where it says that the wicked are like chaff. Chaff is just the, like the leftovers of fruits, good fruits that have been picked up. Then whatever is left is chaff. And this thing flies away whenever the wind passes because it just doesn't have any foundation. It just can't hold to the tree or to the plant. Um, and so when we continue, we see that God has an actual reaction to the dominion of these kings, of these people who are not with him. And, and we come to understand that human power is actually very, very, very small. But yet it is destructive and sinful. And so God's first reaction is that he laughs at it. He's like, well, you guys, your power is nothing if you look at me and the power. And it's not out of a place of arrogance, but if, if you look at the, the influence that we have and what God can do, it's like two worlds apart. Um, but then he doesn't just stay there. He, he doesn't just say like, oh, come on, guys, and then winks at them. No, no, like they're still sinning. And so this is something that God doesn't approve. And so he, like it said, that he will pass judgment. A righteous wrath will come upon them. Um, and so God places a king of his own. And so it starts off, as we see in the history of the Israelites, like kings are appointed like Saul, David, and, and some are really good like David, and some are very, very bad like Manasseh. But at the end of the day, they're still human and they're still sinful. And so they can't really represent what God is about. And so that's where Jesus comes in. And so we see that truly, Jesus is the king of all kings. His kingdom was built on a promise, on a decree that was given to us by God. It is present in the verse. And, and we know that this promise was made with divine wisdom, with true knowledge. I mean, God knows everything. He made everything. So he knows what is best. This can be extremely comforting for us because then we realize that when we submit to him, we're submitting to someone who knows what is best, what is good. And so even when it's difficult, we can trust that the outcome of it is going to be good. Now, Jesus is also God's begotten son. There's the mention of a son. In that time, um, people would have understood Israel as being the son. Because in the Old Testament, Israel is sometimes referred as the son of God. But Truly, when, when the more we come to see, it's really talking about Jesus. Jesus has a distinctive relationship with the Father that we just don't have. I mean, our, our, even though we are God's people, even though we are part of God's family, um, we are adopted by the Holy Spirit. These people, the Israelites, didn't even have the Spirit. Um, and so they, the, they wouldn't have like this kind of relationship that... We have even today. Um, and so Jesus is truly the son of God and he's the one who's appointed to, to be the king of all kings. And he he's even um, he's even told like like you see in the in the verse that he has power. I mean he's gonna be smashing pottery, which is very symbolic because at that time this was a practice that was done, for example, in Egypt, when a king would be crowned, recently crowned, um, he would take a pottery, write the names of different nations, and then he would just smash it. 
um, this is to show that they have power and that they're going to destroy other nations and that they're going to take over. Well, this is what God is saying to these specific nations, like, like for example, Egypt. and Well, in this case, it wouldn't be Egypt, but, but just saying like all these people that were not following him, he's like, well, this is what I'm saying to you. Like, I have the power to destroy you, to take you down completely. Um, and so we should have a reaction to this. And, and this is what verse 10 uh, to 12 really shows us is what what should be the outcome of how we see this like what what should it bring out of us um, reading this today and so what came really to mind is that we should really ought to live uh, in reverence of him in constant awe understanding that he is truly power that powerful that he is sovereign that he is mighty and and to know that should leave us always in awe to rejoice in him this is something that we have to constantly be doing to rejoice in him even whilst having fear now the fear i'm describing is not one where you know you have a shark coming to eat you and you're just like frozen because you don't know what to do no this is a fear that teaches us to respect him to to know that he is really the one true most powerful being and, and, and that gives us perspective to adore him. We, we need to adore him. We, like, it, it is a good thing to adore our kings because then we, we want to submit to him. We want to follow him. We want to serve him. Um, in the verse, it says to kiss the son, or, or I don't know what versions you have, but this is really uh, an idea of a covenant of friendship. The way I compare it to is, you know, in certain cultures, it is okay. I know not here, but it is okay to kiss your friends on the cheek, and, and even men do this. Well, I, I see it as this, as something like we can we can show like friendship, like we can show like we a certain level of intimacy. And now... We should live this out truly, guys. Like we should learn to fear him um, so that we don't oppose him. Uh, to have perspective when we have when we are leaders, when we have the ability to influence others, to always look at him first and be like, okay, I understand that I'm just a partaker in the work that he's doing. And to see him as the true leader, the perfect leader, so that we can learn to emulate him. All right, guys, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just teaching us more about your word, Lord. Thank you that we can really look to you, Father God, when, when we feel desperate, when we feel like uh, people are oppressing us, when the government is not necessarily doing things that are wise, Lord. We understand, Father God, that your power is beyond that. We pray, Father God, that we learn to be more acknowledging of just how mighty and sovereign you are, Lord so that we may not live in disobedience, but constantly try to honor you. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.